listening to Setting Course, an ABS podcast. Join us as we navigate the latest trends, developments, and challenges facing the rapidly evolving maritime and offshore industries. Catch every episode at www.eagle.org and podcast platforms everywhere. Hello and welcome to today's show. I'm John Snyder, Managing Editor of Riviera Maritime Media, and I'll be your host. Joining me today on Setting Course, an ABS podcast, to discuss carbon capture, utilization, and storage is Joe Russo. Joe is the ABS Director of Offshore Technology. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Appreciate uh, the invitation, and I'm happy to be here. Now, Joe, before we jump into the discussion on carbon capture, uh, tell our listeners about yourself. Uh, How did you get your start in the marine industry? Well, I grew up in a small city on the east coast of Canada, St. John's, Newfoundland, and I uh, I just loved boats in the sea and uh, discovered that there was this career path called naval architecture. Um, and so I did a degree at university and I've been uh, working at shipyards and consulting firms and with ABS now for uh, a good uh, 30 years. Well, great. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that. Sounds like a, a great experience. Let's talk about carbon capture and storage. Now, it's it's been around uh, and used in the oil and gas sector for decades and is now being viewed as an important bridging technology uh, in the energy transition as, as shipping awaits new low and zero carbon fuels. Where are we in the development of, of onboard carbon capture? Um, well, it's still early days in terms of uh, getting anything into the ships that are out and sailing. Uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, research and development work going on. Uh, a lot of it has been focused in in a couple of major areas in the in the post combustion, uh, you know, taking the engine exhaust and and cleaning it up uh, type of area. Uh, the the first has been kind of adapting what's been used on land and in some of the 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 power generation and refining and and other industries uh, to capture carbon and and taking those those systems which absorb co2 into a, a chemical uh, and then and then you're able to strip it out and store it um, and so we're adapting those technologies to a, a smaller platform that's on board a ship um, and there are some other uh, exciting projects as well where people are working on different technologies uh, rather than the chemical absorption um, and they're hoping that they can give you some maybe better efficiencies maybe better storage means and that sort of thing uh, but it, it's still a, a very much a developing situation there are not a lot of installed systems on board in the marine fleet at the moment now you mentioned getting uh, that technology the the onboard carbon capture into the the confined spaces of, of a ship uh, can you talk about the the challenges of of scaling uh, this technology for for shipboard use Sure. Obviously, you don't have the same uh, available real estate that you have when you're locating a a carbon capture uh, facility next to a a refinery, for example, or a power plant. Um, You you do have something that's going to be of smaller space and and, uh, you have to worry about weight and center of gravity because, you know, it it is still a ship. And so you have to think about stability. Um, You also have to uh, be able to have the associated systems that go with it. You know, if you're using uh, water sprays and and uh, and other utility systems, certainly electrical power is is something that you have to think about. Um, And to be honest, the uh, the systems themselves use more energy um, in order to do what they need to do. So you're actually going to burn a little more fuel. 
in order to generate the power that you need to, to run these systems. But uh, the end product is that you're able to absorb uh, a certain amount of the carbon dioxide that's in the, uh, the exhaust stream. Um, it, it can be anywhere from 30% of the of the exhaust right up to, uh, you know, to close to 100%. Uh, the thing is, the more you absorb, the more energy you have to put into it, uh, the more space you need to store. Um, and one unfortunate thing about uh, liquid carbon dioxide, if that's what you're producing, is that it's, it's going to generate three times the weight of the fuel that you burn. So uh, when you think about the, uh, the storage space and, and capacity, um, if you try to capture 100%, you're going to have uh, a lot of uh, liquid CO2 that you have to store on board the vessel. Whereas if you uh, store, uh, c capture smaller amounts, you have to s store smaller amounts. So it, it all goes into it. Right now, you, you mentioned, of course, uh, storing that CO2 on board, and and of course, one of the the challenges as well is um, where do you where do you drop it off? You know, where where are we in that that value chain of of supporting uh, CO2? Um, yeah, that's one of the big chicken and egg moments that we have right now is that we can do the capture, uh, you know, and put it into a liquid form, or some systems will develop uh, solids, uh, whether it's calcium carbonate or different forms of carbon or even reacting it into other chemicals or acids that you can monetize and sell rather than, you know, using as a, as a waste product to be stored somewhere. But at the current time, there aren't a lot of ports where you can pull in and, and unload, uh, you know, liquid CO2 or, or solids without having some sort of uh, contract and infrastructure in place to, to do that. Um, there are some who are trying to uh, do certain things like uh, being able to have uh, modularized um, offtake. Uh, so you're working with containers that you can load and unload uh, with with the product. And, uh, you know, that is a, a promising solution for some areas. Uh, but it's going to be a while, and you may see it in green corridors first, where a given endpoint or a given pair of endpoints um, implements that along with the other things that they're doing to make a, a, a more environmentally friendly uh, green corridor type of arrangement where you have, uh, you know, reduced emissions, reduced energy, um, and this may be part of it that goes into it. But Joe, you, you mentioned chemical absorption, and, and what what types of technology are, are you seeing being piloted and, and deployed uh, for carbon capture? Yeah, sure. That's a good question. Uh, we see, of course, the amine absorption. Amine is a chemical that uh, can be used uh, and has been used quite a bit in onshore applications um, where the, um, the the carbon dioxide can be absorbed into this chemical. Uh, and then uh, the, um, uh, the, the chemical can be regenerated so that you remove the carbon dioxide from it and can reuse that amine again uh, in, in, a, in a cycle. Um, eventually, it wears out, and you do have to replace the amine. But uh, it, it's pretty much a a, a well documented and and pretty well technically established way to uh, absorb the CO2, and then um, and then you can store the the regenerated CO2 in a liquid form generally. Uh, but there are other means out there, things like uh, solid adsorption, uh, where you are capturing the CO2 onto the surface of uh, you know like small small nodules or things like that. Uh, you can also have calcium looping, uh, where you're using a, a chemical like uh, calcium oxide uh, uh, that uh, captures the CO2, and then you get a solid output rather than liquid. You get calcium carbonate or, or limestone. Um, and uh, there are other other systems like membrane systems as well. There are various chemicals that you can use. None of these are 
really at the technology readiness level of an amine system, but we're seeing a lot of them uh, used in pilots and uh, and we, we see that there's uh, there's great potential for them um, as they're working out in the testing, you know, the the efficiencies and the energy requirements and things like that. Um, and so there's there's many different ways that you could possibly go right now. Right. And, and could you highlight, uh, I guess, any uh, projects that ABS is currently working on in, in carbon capture? Uh, sure. I mean, we've done uh, a fair number of approvals in principle of uh, vessel designs that have come out of uh, major shipyards in, in Asia, for example. Um, we've got a number that uh, that we've worked on with both the amine absorption and, and other types of, uh, uh, of processes. Uh, we've been working with vendors. Uh, there are a number of them that uh, that have been uh, piloting things on board. So we've worked with uh, with some companies at the uh, approval and principle level or the new technology qualification level for some of these newer, you know, non-amine type of systems. Um, and we've uh, we've gone through and uh, and put some of them on board um, vessels as well uh, the, for a, a pilot type project where it, it's not a full installation, you know, that's going to be uh, soaking up 30 to 90 percent of the, the CO2. It's it's a small, you know, uh, installation that will allow you to to absorb, you know, something like a, a ton of CO2 a day or something like that, just to uh, be able to prove the technology, see if there are any bugs that need to be worked out in in things. And, and they're very useful to, to to do an actual real world test bed. Uh, particularly for some of these newer systems where we just don't have the uh, the, the long service history or uh, relatively long service history comparatively of the amine systems. Joe, do you, do you see an, uh, an ideal vessel type uh, for the deployment of uh, carbon capture technology? I mean, it's really applicable across a very wide range of vessels. As long as they're of a significant size, you can't put a, a, a carbon capture system on a very small vessel. There just isn't the space um, and, and the power available to do that sort of thing. Uh, but when you look at something like an LNG carrier, for example, the liquefied natural gas folks are already used to dealing with chemicals and with um, uh, heat transfer and liquefaction. So uh, there's been a lot of interest in, in potentially putting um, these onboard uh, uh, LNG vessels since they can use the LNG as fuel um, and then they can use carbon capture uh, in order to uh, to reduce the emissions, uh, but we've also seen it on on other large vessel types. Some interest in some uh, some large tankers and uh, and container ships. Certainly, we, we'll see how it works out. A, a lot of it may be tied to what regulatory schemes are available for folks to use. Um, you know, to be able to take advantage of the the reduction in emissions that you could get from a carbon capture situation. I know you don't have a, a crystal ball, of course, but what's your feeling as far as when um uh, these technologies will be uh, commercialized on on a broader basis. Well, we're still in the early days right now. I think it's going to be a, a few more years. It's it's not long term. We're not talking thirty or forty years, but probably within the next five to ten, you'll see a lot more installations, both at the pilot level, but also at the uh, the commercial level. Um, the the issue, of course, as we talked about earlier, is the infrastructure um, and the. The situation that we have right now from a regulatory side is that you're not really getting credit for carbon capture yet. Um, that's something that has been under active discussion at uh, the International Maritime Organization, uh, and they're set to discuss it more. Uh, but the the whole discussion of where that fits into the carbon intensity indicators and the um, design indexes, 
um, as well as in the the whole um, you know well to wake versus tank to wake discussion. Uh, there's certainly a lot of people uh, trying to work out how that's going to be reflected in the marine industry. Uh, but anywhere that you have something uh, like a carbon tax, for example, um, is this is going to be attractive because it it enables you to uh, to get some sort of uh, rebate or uh, or just pay less tax. Um, so you may see that uh, in certain regional areas around the world, like Europe, for example, before you see it in other areas. The, the problem is that you're essentially dealing with a waste product. Paying for that is not something that you can easily uh, monetize unless there's uh, you know some sort of incentive. Um, and and certainly the a lot of companies have these incentives, whether it's from their financiers or uh, from their regulators or that sort of thing. But we're still waiting for that that rather complicated landscape to play out because there's still a lot of uh, a lot of money that's going to have to be spent in terms of uh, you know building up these infrastructures and and making sure that these uh, regulations and supply chains are are in place. Right. So uh, clearly, uh, as you highlighted, government uh, policy has a role to play in the deployment of this technology. And you mentioned, of course, uh, commercialization. Could could the captured CO2 be used, say, for example, to to create um, synthetic uh, fuels as well? Absolutely. That is one path forward is the the idea that you could take captured CO2 and then use it with uh, some sort of green power generated um, hydrogen um, or, uh, you know, with nitrogen to create ammonia fuels or methanol fuels. Um, and then with, from the methanol, you could recapture the carbon and then reuse it again to make more methanol, for example. Um, so the, there is a possibility to do these type of things. Um, the, the issue is going to be the scale uh, and and building up again of this the, of this infrastructure. I mean, to date, we've used CO2 uh, as a as a product for things like enhanced recovery, where you inject it into a well and it helps you recover more oil and gas. Uh, we also have it in the the food and beverage industry. I mean, your uh, your soft drinks will have um, you know carbon dioxide in them, food grade carbon dioxide. But the amount and scale of, of carbon that we're talking about from uh, some of these capture efforts uh, is going to be vastly larger um, you know, on the order of 10 to 100 or even more times uh, what we're currently uh, capturing and using. So uh, we have to figure out something to do with, with this. Um, regenerating it into fuels is, is one way to do it. Um, again, as I said, making it into other products is is a possibility as well uh, but it's it's something that uh, that is is being wrestled with because it's a it's a, a challenge um, from the from the financial standpoint um, you know to make this all work now do you, do you see carbon capture and storage as, as a critical technology for uh, helping shipping meet its uh, net zero uh, uh, GHG target by by 2050 or thereabouts Absolutely, it's important. I mean, uh, we've seen a, a lot of interest in it uh, over the past uh, couple of years, and 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 interest just seems to be growing. And more systems are being worked on. More uh, design um, has been done on these type of vessels that that have something on board. Um, so that there, there's a lot of work into it. Uh, it's it's something that uh, will play a role, uh, especially as we wait for, again, large-scale alternative fuel production. They, they have their own infrastructure issues, uh, you know, of generating methanols or ammonias or, or anything like that. Um, and for existing ship retrofits, it, it, it may be more easy to put on a, 
uh, a retrofit modular carbon capture system that is able to absorb, say, 30% of your uh, your CO2. Um, but it's a lot harder to replace uh, an engine and fuel system uh, on an existing ship. So we may see that it's a it, it is something that's of use to the existing fleet in in making sure that they can get the most out of the vessels that they have now, uh, and and move into into the future. Um, we also have, of course, that we haven't talked about very much is just the transportation networks uh, and what role shipping will play there. Because, uh, you know, sh- shipping emissions are around two and a half to three percent of the uh, the overall emissions worldwide. Um, there's going to be a lot more capture that's happening on power plants and and cement plants and things like that on shore. Um, and some of that may have to be shipped to other locations, depending on the uh, on where the uh, um, the sequestration takes place, where they're injecting it into the ground, or where it's being uh, you know monetized into a different commodity, for example. Um, so the the, the trade of uh, liquid CO2 carriers uh, may be another uh, aspect of of this whole industry that that we have to think about. Uh, the pipelines and port terminals as well that that go into all of that. So it it, it is um, it's not just the the onboard capture that that we need to think about. It's it's the whole um, the whole ecosystem, the whole um, economy around CO2 that's uh, that's probably going to develop. Um, you know, and and that's without even mentioning any of the direct air capture technologies where you know the they're not tied to a specific exhaust stream. They're just pulling CO2 out of the air um, somewhere. Um, so there can be a whole uh, industry that builds up around this, and it involves shipping um, in many aspects, um, and that includes right to the offshore platforms that may be sequestering it in the ground. You know, they 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 are also part of the marine industry um, as uh, as they operate in the in the offshore environment. So clearly, lo- lots of opportunity for for shipping uh, and uh, possibly the uh, the reuse of uh, depleted wells and and um, existing uh, infrastructures as well yes exactly i mean there's uh, there's a lot of uh, of very good uh, um, possibilities out there when it comes to um, either um, depleted oil wells or also saline aquifers offshore are, are interesting as well um, these are these are pretty good for injecting co2 into um, and the uh, the idea with offshore injection is that you can, if you're dealing with aquifers, of course, and they're and they're already saline and they're offshore, you don't have to worry about the the impact of potential nearby drinking water sources the same way that you do with a if you want to inject it on land, for example. Um, you won't see a lot of it in very deep water because of the very high pressures that you get, and they that's not particularly conducive to uh, to storing CO2 uh, just because of the the well profiles and things like that. Not an area we get into a lot. Um, we tend to focus on the safety of the, uh, you know, the offshore platforms and the uh, the injection lines and everything down to the seabed. But uh, but certainly there's a, a lot of potential um, in the in the onshore and nearshore um, and uh, and getting into some of the uh, some of the offshore as well, uh, depending on depth and that sort of thing. And, and there are various um, operators and uh, oil companies and uh, other institutions that are looking at this, uh, you know, looking at where is it appropriate and where where could they put the uh, the CO2, um, you know, when it comes down to uh, to an area where where they where can they where they where can they store it, uh, and where can they uh, they leave it and have a good uh, chance that it stays in the ground. Now, Joe, with, with uh, just a few minutes left in our podcast, I was wondering if you had any uh, final thoughts to to share with our listeners. 
Yes, I mean, it, it's a, a, a growing and very interesting area. Uh, certainly, there's uh, there's new technologies, and we can handle them with you know our existing um, procedures for qualifying new technologies and approving uh, new vessel designs in principle. Uh, we've already published some classification rules. Um, we're waiting on uh, on the International Maritime Organization and various uh, government entities to uh, decide what they want to do from a policy standpoint. Um, and then the the entire industrial infrastructure uh, of where all that goes, uh, you know, in, in ports and pipelines and and where this uh, this commodity is going to be moved around the world. it's It's early days, but as we've seen with many industries that that we've engaged with uh, in 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 offshore and in some of the um, data environments that we deal with now, uh, things can happen very quickly when people put their minds to them. And so we're we're pretty excited about the things that can happen and the the uh, the steps that we can take um, and the advances that the whole industry can make uh, over the next few years to to make this a reality and and uh, and see that uh, we we can we can help the environment and reduce these emissions and uh, and do it in a safe way. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for for joining me today. Hey, no problem. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on Setting Course, an ABS podcast. If you're interested in learning more about today's topic or listening to more episodes, visit www.eagle.org.